Hi, and welcome to another episode of Community Manufacturing Talks. Today, I'm pleased to be joined by Dr. Cassandra Bauket and Dr. Christian Levesque, researchers at HEC Montreal and the Ryerson's Future Skills Learning Center. They're here to talk about their aerospace manufacturing report and its findings as it pertains to Industry 4.0 and the post-pandemic economy. Uh, it's clear that uh, Industry 4.0 is really enriching a, a lot of jobs and roles, but there's also a clear talent shortage in manufacturing. Uh, so I'm curious um, what the industry sort of needs to do to attract talent to these enriched roles. If you look at the report, what we found in terms of E4.0, because you were saying that E4.0 is enriching job. Uh, well, this is not actually what is going on. And uh, we're seeing not enrichment, we're seeing some jobs that are enriched, but there's also some jobs that are being descaled. So you yeah, have a polarization. Sorry. Yes, the, polariza the polarization of the job roles. Uh, sorry, yeah. I, didn't, I, I use the wrong word when I say enrichment. So with okay. the polarization of the job roles, it's clear mm -hmm. that in manufacturing, there's a talent shortage. How can uh, mm -hmm. polarized job roles expect to attract talent, I guess, right? Because we're, I guess we would be demanding two things, low skilled labor, and I guess more enriched high skilled labor. Uh, but there's clear there's a talent shortage. So I guess that sort of adoption isn't, is it working? It doesn't seem like it's working in terms of filling up um, the roles, right? I think, I think what you said is exactly right. There is a problem with a talent shortage. So in aerospace, in both clusters, you know, across machinist roles, which I guess would be the ones that are being affected with the, the de-skilling primarily, um, but also with more highly skilled roles, there are big talent shortages. And so I think what Christine and I talk about in the report is it's a problem of both attraction and demand. So we have a problem in terms of how firms are attempting to attract labor in general into their firm, be it like low, lower skilled operator level positions, or machinists, which is um, a more highly skilled entry level position. Um, and then you've obviously got the attraction of far more highly skilled positions too. I think the impact of Industry 4.0 on the attraction in, in firms, because it's so varied in the sector, what you do see is, you know, what we talk about in, in the report is that some firms are hiring operators, which they are finding to some degree easier because it takes less time to train them, to get them in, they require a lower level of skill, but other firms are finding it far more difficult to, to recruit the skills that they need. Yeah, but and at the same time, it's 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 an it's an important point because, you know, um, when we're talking about uh, high skilled job, we're talking about, for example, engineers, programmers, IT people, and uh, where and we're talking about the young generation. Where will they go? Will they go in the aerospace industry, or will they go work for Google? where you don't have the same type of working condition. So they have to work on this level of attracting them, but also having a job that are enriching, that, are, uh, that, that give the, the possibility for people to exploit their potential. And so far, E4.0 has not necessarily uh, been able to do that. I'll give you an example. Uh, before the pandemic, uh, there was a big uh, conference in Montreal on, uh, and I think we would find the same thing in Toronto, on uh, artificial intelligence. 
there was 200 young students there just assisting to see where am I going to work? They want to go. This is where they want to work. So the aerospace, which was one of the most attracting industry for engineers because of the product and all that, because there's a lot of, it, of innovation. Now they're competing with this new industry that is coming ahead that has a lot of, uh, um, that is very much appealing. So that's one of the challenges the industry has to face is it's not to create, it's to create an environment of work that will be appealing, especially for the young generation, especially when we are in a context, and that's all over in Canada, uh, of uh, 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 shortage of uh, young people in different industry and in different occupation. So, and this is a, a problem that a company alone cannot address. It's impossible. It's not possible. Okay, you, you may tell me, oh yeah, Christian, you're wrong. Uh, let's take the Bombardier, the Pratt and Whitney of this uh, of this world. They can deal, probably. But the industry as a whole, the, uh, the, the firms in, in, in these industry can, cannot deal with that alone. So you need a concerted effort by companies, by college, by university in order to build this new uh, pipeline of talent. Have we have we begun to see aerospace manufacturers? Have we begun to see this sort of um, partnership and this sort of working together to make um, the industry more appealing and enriching? And if so, I'm curious if there are certain manufacturers or or ways that uh, are successful right now in terms of att attracting talent or making these roles look more appealing. I think in both clusters, the, the regional intermediaries play a really important role in this. So I know there are a lot of programs that Air Montreal is running in tandem with schools, with colleges. I mean, the, the process of building a pipeline can be multifaceted. So it can be a firm building a pipeline for the next 12 months, but it can also be when you're looking at STEM careers, building a pipeline of talent over the next 10 years, right? And that's really the level we need to be talking about when we talk about industry 4.0 in the aerospace industry. You know, we need to be talking long-term over the next 10 years. How do we get children for, from primary school into STEM uh, subjects in high school, into, in, into colleges or universities or CJEPs, you know, in, and then moving into the industry. And so Aero Montreal, also the Ontario Aerospace Consortium, they've done a lot of work. They've started projects which are doing school outreach, which do college outreach, trying to make the industry look more appealing to young people. But I think it's it's there's a tension there. You know, it, it's part of it's about the reputation of the industry and making the industry attractive to young people, showing them you know the the new machinery, showing them the new the new technology and the options that they have working in the industry. But it also comes back again to this question that we really raise in the report, which is the quality of the jobs that are being produced. You know, you can attract people into an industry, but you can't make them stay if you can't provide them with the terms and conditions, the working conditions that they want. And the working conditions that they're looking for so there's a real tension there between how do you attract people in through a pipeline and that involves a certain amount of activities and effort and investment but also how do you keep them and that's that's a whole other question it's a tricky question for the firms because they are competing not only on the commercial side to have contract but they're competing for talent to get the, the best employee for to be able to uh, have a good return on their investment. And the tricky question is how you make them cooperate with each other, even though they are competing. 
And this, you need you need to make the basis to add, and it won't come like it won't come like that. Like you, like if you are Harry Potter and you have your magic, uh, I don't know how you say in English, but wand, in wand. French we say how you say that. Oh, the wand, I think you're exactly. It doesn't work like that. So we see firms in Canada that, are, and it's not all the firms that do that, but firms that are starting to say, we have to work together. We have to work with college and university so that they will understand what our needs are. And then we have to stop the poaching, uh, stealing from each other. The, the, and, you know, and sometimes it, it becomes on an informal basis. And there has been those intermediary organization in Montreal and in Toronto that have tried to, slow down this poaching and tell companies you have to work together and the way to work together is is not to uh it's to increase the pie so increase the number the, the, the quant quantity of talent that you have and then they have to work also with the university and the university we're about university we're both in university casey and i it's the question of it's so slow, the adaptation. You know, you want to have this type of uh, engineer that is able to uh, have a, a, a different type of skill set, and the university or the college don't produce them. So they have to, also the university and college have to work very closely with the industry. And, and that is an important issue. And there are initiatives that are taken uh, in 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 both in the in the industry in both Montreal and Toronto, in order to to break the borders that you have, uh, you know, open up the frontiers between the, the various stakeholders, so that they they start to act collectively. And this is it's you know people always say oh it's an easy word uh, cooperation, but it's such a big issue. The issue are so important actually that firms university, college, trade unions, they have to work together to solve this problem or else Canada won't be able to deal with that. As you know, we have a good industry and the aerospace is a good industry in Canada. It's a very leading industry, but we're playing against big firms like in France, you know, in Europe with, with Airbus and all that. So, and Boeing in the US. So I think that this is where they, 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 they have to stop and I know that they will continue to compete between, and that's part of the, that. That's the system. We, you know, you have to accept that. But at the same time, we, the, the the government has to put in place programs that bring them to work closely together. Yeah, it's interesting. It seems like there's a lot of emphasis, and that seems like um, that was my takeaway from the report as well. It seems like there's a lot of emphasis on the industry needing to work together in order to overcome. Mm -hmm a lot of these challenges. Uh, so with that in mind, another thing I noticed from the report was that there was a, a large emphasis on a lot of the training programs and a lot of the um, you know, colleges and schools having uh, programs in place. Uh, but a statistic stood out to me from the report. It said that 70% of the workers in aviation and the aerospace industry are men and 26% are immigrant workers. I'm wondering if an investment in, attractive, in attracting uh, foreign talent uh, would be able to help um, if if we if we sort of created programs outside of just our schools and colleges and, and training programs, I'm wondering if that sort of thing is already in place or if you guys can sort of speak to that. Directly in relation to Industry 4.0, I mean, for the aerospace sector specifically. So, I mean, I've done research on the UK and the Australian aerospace sectors. I can tell you that shortage of labor is something that is experienced in other countries in the world. So you can't just, it wouldn't fix all of the problems because there's not any country that has 
a surplus of highly skilled, you know, uh, labor with the correct skill sets because with industry 4.0 it's not just an issue of attracting skilled labor it's an issue of attracting labor with the right kinds of skill sets and so that's a very much decided on a firm by firm basis depending on how how far they are in the industry of 4.0 adoption process depending on what technology they use depending on how they use it depending on you know how they've organized their work organization with this new technology all of these things shape the skill sets that firms now uh, are now starting to need. So yes, there are definitely programs. You know, I, I, in a couple of industry conferences, there were there were uh, firms in certain subsets of the the industry calling for you know expansion of certain programs to bring in people with specific skill sets. But often it was older skill sets, things that took you know more in sort of air traffic management for example or pilots things like that where they were saying we've got established skill bases in other countries that we can bring here i think it's more challenging with the with industry 4.0 and the new technologies but i think you're, you're sadie you're you're putting a, a, an important point uh uh we we're talking about a lot about firm cooperating with with uh, each other but i think that at the cluster level at the regional level whether it's Ontario or Quebec uh, with the Aero Montreal, they build link with other cluster around the world. There's a big organization where you have these type and they, they try to exchange on best practice and you need to have uh, these uh, organization that build the link so that the firms can have access to uh, work workforce across the globe. And we see uh, there's there's individual firm in in Ontario. We saw a lot of them that they had their pipeline through own social capital, and they are able to attract uh, people, workers from India, from Romania, from Mar Morocco, and and that's the big firms they can do that. The small firm it's it's a, a lot harder, and we know that with the the the. the uh, the number of children that that we have per family in Canada is very very low. So we yeah. need we need immigration, and we need active policy by the government, and it has to be driven by the government, but but also by these intermediary organization that help to make the fit. Exactly what Casey was saying is that you don't you don't need to have. Uh, all the skills, but you you need to really focus on the type of skills that that you have. And I think that the government is not enough proactive on that level. And I'm talking more, I'm talking here about let's say, both for, for all level of government, provincial and federal, have to be more proactive to attract these people. And honestly, it's a question that is crucial because we know that if we stop. Uh, uh, we don't have this uh, reproduction of, of manpower, uh, you cannot innovate. That's one of the, the and we, we will have to rely on the, the skill and the competency of people from uh, from other country. Yeah, but uh, yeah, exactly. So with that in mind, it seems like um, intermediaries from what I've seen, a lot of these intermediary organizations are focusing on, uh, you know, training programs and upskilling workers and, and, and uh, a lot of programs within Canadian institutions and colleges and universities, as opposed to uh, focusing their efforts abroad. Uh, what I, I guess what I wanted to clear up was 
Am I wrong in assuming that, that most of the efforts are domestic right now when within Canada, or are there a Canadian intermediary organizations that, have are, that are already trying to attract uh, foreign talent for SMEs in aerospace manufacturing in Canada? Yes, um, there are intermediary organizations, and it's not necessarily Aero Montreal, for example, but yeah, I'll take this yeah. example, but Montreal International. This okay. is an organization that is always trying to attract people from out, from other countries to come here uh, and to uh, help the companies and the industry in general. So there are these type of initiatives that are taking, but at the same time, there are also some blockage uh, at, the, at, at the federal and provincial level in order to attract these people. But there are, there are initiatives is there enough? No, there should be more initiative, but there are initiative at that level. Okay, okay, yeah, I just, I wanted to, to make sure, um, yeah, I, I understood that clearly. Um, another, uh, uh, there are a couple of terms in the report that I also wanted to clear up uh, just for my own understanding. Uh, I'm still pretty new to the manufacturing sector and I'm, I'm the new editor at Canadian Manufacturing here. So I've been here for half a year. So there's still a few things I, I, I don't understand clearly. I'm hoping to, to, um, to understand them. The, the report dives in and makes frequent mention of cluster level resources or collective resources in aerospace manufacturing. I'm wondering uh, what you mean by that, I guess, especially as it relates to uh, uh, SMEs. So when we talk about collective resources, it, it's both tangible and intangible. So tangible things would be training programs that all firms in the cluster could use, uh, programs designed to support firms, with a variety of resources for technological upgrading. So the Mac Fab program that we discussed is one of those. And um, it could be a series of events, workshops, seminars, uh, information. So one of the things we raise in, in the report uh, is the importance of having good cluster level uh, metrics to be able to measure and benchmark for individual firms. And so CAMAC is one of the, the main intermediaries who produces those. Um, so those are the tangible resources. But when we talk about collective resources and the process of building these collective goods, I guess, uh, what you also get through that process of collaboration of people working together is a level of expertise, um, a level of skill within regional intermediaries, a level of competence. Uh, you get trust uh, being built between firms who might previously have been competitors, but having worked together on a project or participated in a mentoring scheme or taking part in firm into into firm site visits, they may trust each other. They may have built relationships, which means that rather than uh, uh, either their first option then might suddenly be to call their competitor down the road and ask him a, a question about problem solving. So it becomes something that we, we Christian and, and I talk about as learning by doing. So when you address a problem, it becomes addressed more collectively and more collaboratively, and it spreads the cost. It spreads the, it, it makes it easier to problem solve. Uh, it reduces the cost of producing goods over a longer term as well. Um, and yeah, generally supports so, a broader number of firms. So that's what you would refer to as intangible resources. Yeah, the trust building, okay. network building is intangible uh, okay. because it's difficult to measure, yeah. but it plays an important role. But the tangible would be things like training programs, information and data that's available, you know, finances. Oh, for example, say the inter in terms of collective goods, it's 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 usually everybody produces it and everybody can use it. I'll give you one example. If you want to have data on the 
aerospace industry in Montreal on, on, uh, on for example, uh, the type of jobs that you have, you will go to a site, CAMAC, and you will find everything. All the companies, 80 or 90% of the companies always respond to a survey. They, they're not paid to it. And then this, this information becomes available to all the companies, but also to everybody. Try to do the same thing in Toronto. You won't find nothing. You don't have access to that type of information because they have not. And this thing of data, it started in the 1980s in Quebec. So you don't have that in Ontario. So this is a type of not people say, okay, I will spend time to respond to this survey and I'll know that it will be useful for everybody. That's. That's, I think it's important. The second thing I want to say about the cluster is that we have two levels of analysis of a cluster. You have the cluster, which is a, a geographic uh, definition, which is firm uh, in the region that produce, I don't know, uh, uh, wings, you know, and there's a couple, so you have you have a little cluster. So that, that's, that, that's a defin definition of cluster as a production. We're also thinking of the cluster as a social, as a social production, if I may, if I may use this word. And this is what Casey was talking about: these goods, uh, tangible and intangible goods that are produced. And at that level, clusters are not similar; are very different in the the, the level of uh, development that you will have. Uh, definitely. I like what you said about collective resources being, I think you said everybody produces it and everybody can use it, right? Yeah, Yeah. yeah exactly. Yeah, um, yeah so uh, I guess um, I had another question, sort of the, the report sort of dove into how competitive the aerospace market is and how uh, in order for the Canadian aerospace market to thrive, we'd sort of have to find our niche. And one of the potential niches that were put forward was uh, sustainable civil aviation. Uh, and so I guess my question was, obviously, uh, you know, sustainable uh, automotive manufacturing has exploded in Canada. I'm wondering if that is still a niche we're interested in, or are we seeing aerospace manufacturers uh, already pivot and explore uh, applications and, and you know manufacturing possibilities in sustainable civil aviation. I think that they're they are very much involved into that. There are different programs, the Garden Program. There's another one in, in Quebec where they are trying to develop what Safe. they call the clean the clean the clean airplane. Okay. Uh, you have companies uh, and that that's public, uh, like Pratt and Whitney, who, who is developing is uh, is. Uh, engine to be more more and you know this does not come from Christian Lévesque and Cassandra Bucket it comes from the industry you know people in industry were telling us listen we can we cannot compete with Airbus we cannot compete with Boeing we have to find a niche and we have a lot of good engineering in Canada we have um, amongst the top engineer you know when you look there's Country that are better than us, but I think that we have very good university in both Toronto, Montreal, and British Columbia, all over the place. And in order to be able to compete in this market, we, we have to define exactly on what we want. That, that's why we were talking about the niche and the the people in the industry, and that, that's in Toronto, that's in Montreal. We didn't we didn't do all Canada. We would have loved to do it. We're a small country. <laughs> 
you know, we're not, when we're talking about China, we're talking about India, India and all that. We're, so we cannot compete on the same level and we have to find this really where we can develop our expertise. And I think that that was one aspect that the industry was really looking forward saying, let's go into this niche and it has a lot of potential. And mm -hmm. I think that this is, this is, you know, when we're talking about how the government has to spend this money, uh, you can give money to everybody and say, have fun, or you can have priority and say, we're gonna, we're gonna, we're gonna support this industry on this level. They have decided for the auto, and I think that they, they should, they, they are, they are already investing in that, but, but they should probably put it a step further in in uh, in this direction yeah for sure and that's um the reason i asked that question was because you know just in my role i'm seeing news every day from automotive manufacturers you know a few times a week about different innovations in terms of electrical engine design and things like that but from the aerospace manufacturers i'm maybe seeing you know maybe a couple times a month you know something uh, uh, being announced to reduce greenhouse gas and gas emissions or, or things like that so that's why uh, i wanted to ask that and you know, uh, just uh, just in terms of structure, uh, you know uh, how the weight is important. Uh, they're they're investing, and they don't say, "Oh, it's green," but they invest they're investing in composite material, composite, ma so that reduces the the weight of the plane, reduces the the use of of energy. You know, there are all sorts of things like that. And we were in Toronto. We met a. Uh, several firms that was quite interesting and that, that's what they were telling us you know we have to compete on this level and if we want to go through towards this this uh, green green plane uh, we have to start pieces by pieces you know you don't just don't build uh, the green plane uh, like that yeah yeah no absolutely that that makes a lot of sense um so a part of the report sort of uh talked about the lower number of aerospace firms in canada being a result of pressure from uh oems for suppliers to become integrators uh mm -hmm. combined with the reduction in the number of suppliers and mm -hmm. um i'm wondering how aerospace manufacturers and uh you know small and medium-sized startups and enterprises can compete in a market like that and uh is there anything we can do about it or is that just like sort of you know that's the way it is and and uh, we have to i guess pivot into this niche that we talked about or or um i'm wondering if yeah if that's just the way it is the key the key things that that occur with the integration process is a pressure to reduce costs and an ex uh, sort of an outsourcing of uh certain activities um so, for example, suppliers would be expected to manage supply chains to take on the role of like almost the the role that was traditionally managed by the, the original equipment manufacturer. So what you see is that's pressure for SMEs to both increase their managerial capacity so they're able to take on these new roles and also subsequently reduce cost. Um, and so this is kind of this is one of the reasons that the pressure for industry 4.0 adoption is coming from is a capacity for data gathering within supply chains and as a way of reducing cost by increase, increasing quality, reducing, you know, increasing production rates while keeping work, work uh, the number of workers the same. And I think one of the key things we respond to in the report is this places a huge pressure on SME managers. And one of the key things that we're focused on, the reason we look so much at the, the 
uh, the need for collective resources is because we're saying a lot of these SMEs cannot make this transition on their own. They cannot you know, remain competitive on their own in this type of hyper-competitive environment because it's difficult to invest the amount of money that they need to invest to upgrade their own work processes, their own managers, um, and their own production capacity. So the government needs to provide programs and infrastructure that produce collective goods that support SMEs to, to, to upgrade. Because the thing is, you know, the, the, the large firm are what they want the SMEs to share the risk. They want them to take more responsibility. Mm -hmm. And at the same time, the, the large firm don't want to take any more responsibility with their with their SMEs. Before there were maybe close ties. Now they want to have weak ties with their SMEs. So as Casey was saying, they need to develop um, their own capabilities in order to do that. They cannot do it alone. And this is why you have different types of program to help them. And the, the it's like if the intermediary organization, now they play the role that the multinational were playing before. There's also a transfer of roles. So they are, it's not the, the multinational that will be um, following the SMEs, they will do it, but they won't do it. They won't do it as close in terms of uh, building close relationship. But it's going to be the intermediary organization by bringing, as Casey was saying, collective resource that help the SMEs to work together. And the, the, the important point is that it's. And this comes back to the tangible and intangible aspect. These tangible program they put money in. They help the SMEs, but at the same time, after that the SMEs collaborate between each other. They exchange, they exchange on their best practices. So, so you build this form of collective action between the SMEs. And this for us, uh, honestly, uh, we saw that in Toronto, not as much as in Montreal, but it was in both cluster. For us, this was the way forward. <laughs> it's the only way that, it, so it, it comes back to how does the state can help the industry, is it by funding industry on an individual basis? I don't think so. I think that they need program that create the infrastructure so that companies, large and small, but maybe mostly SMEs can start to collaborate together. And it's not a Harry Potter thing once again. Uh, hearing you both sort of speak on that made me think of two things, two other things. So my first one is uh, obviously the federal government released its budget a few weeks ago, about a few months ago now. Um, mm -hmm. So I'm wondering what both of your reactions were to, to the budget, because I don't remember seeing any major announcements for aerospace manufacturing. There did seem to be a major commitment for clean tech initiatives. So that certainly speaks to that, that niche that we spoke about, about sustainable civil aviation. So I'm curious to sort of hear what your thoughts were, uh, especially now that uh, you know we're talking about more public funding and more public infrastructure programs needed in, in aerospace. I I we, we made a, a, a conference uh, uh, with um, uh, the, the, the Chamber of Commerce of Toronto a few weeks ago. Uh, and we talked a little bit about that budget and we talked also to people from the industry and there was specific funding for the aerospace industry. Okay. Okay. So, and this was well, 
it was welcomed by all the industry in Toronto, in Montreal. They salute that. They're going to put a lot of money. But as you know, Sadi, the devil's in the detail. Yeah. And we don't know much about the detail yeah. <laughs> because it has not been announced. But I and but what but what, what we think on this level is that uh, uh, you don't you cannot have div- giving the diversity of Canada and Winnipeg is different with the MRO than than Ontario than Quebec and then British Columbia it, it's uh, you cannot have a one size fits all policy but you need a Canadian policy in the aerospace industry the industry has been asking for that the trade association, trade union. And so that it's not a question of we're going to put money. Yeah, but for what? How we're going to spend? What are the priorities? And that we don't have it yet. And I think that it's, an, it's they've been asking for that. All the stakeholders, all, all, all have been asking for that for many years. And I think it's due. It's time now. It's the time to have a policy. Because if you look at what they're doing in France, in Germany, in Denmark, this is how they are, and they have they have this European policy, but all countries have their policy that is aligned also. So when you say we put money, you know exactly where the money is going to go because it's directed by a policy, and the policy will probably apply differently uh, in the in different part of Canada. But we need that so that it's not, uh, you know, it's like a, it's the one that's going to a beauty contest to have the money. You know, we don't we don't need that. You know, yeah. we need to have money that is spent intel with with guidelines. Exactly, yeah. exactly, yeah. exactly. It was clear from the report and also from hearing you both speak, but there are clear differences between the uh, aerospace uh, manufacturing markets in Montreal and in Toronto. Uh, so I'm wondering if you can maybe sort of uh, clear up what some of the key differences were. I know you mentioned already that. Uh, I think I read this in the report as well, but that there was a clear like data collection happening in Quebec that could contribute to collective resources, whereas in Toronto everyone was sort of left to fend for themselves. But I'm wondering if maybe you can you can clear up maybe what the what the main differences are in terms of the the Montreal market and the Toronto market. And this is not only about the this is not only in the aerospace. This is in general when you compare Ontario and Quebec. You have different approaches, and we we cite we 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 have a lot of ref, some references in the in the report that support that. You know, uh, Ontario has always been more business driven, uh, so it's company driven uh, with uh, support from the state at various level, but but it's really um, oriented toward reinforcing business the companies. Uh, in Quebec, you have this sort of uh, concerted approach where you have firms, uh, other types of institutions, trade unions that work together. So it's it's really different. So And this translates into the programs that are put in place. And, and I don't think that we can export the Quebec model to, to Ontario. They don't want it because they tried it. In the 1990s, for example, in terms of skills, they had these type of uh, uh, trade union management committees at different levels, and they don't like it. They don't work this way, and that's okay. They don't have to. But but this is really part of what I would say their institutional legacy, and we have to take that in, in account. But the question is how 
can we foster greater cooperation between firms in um, business-led uh, oriented climate? And this is a very uh, a very tricky uh, issue. So, so that's one of institutional is very different. And also, if you look at the type of companies that you have, the structure of the industry, it's also it's also uh, quite different. With a lot of a lot more SMEs in Ontario than in Quebec, uh, and not uh, as uh, they have some large firm, but not as much as uh, anchor firm like we'd find here with. The, uh, now and uh, I think that that would be the two important difference I would make. There's also a very big difference in terms of, at least in the last ten years, in terms of the, the amount of resources that have been given to the regional organizations that operate in both clusters. So there are lots of really interesting initiatives in Toronto. The, the Ontario Aerospace Consortium has designed a number of programs. The the Downsuit Aerospace Innovation and Research Hub has you know, been a really interesting like, attempt to, to bring firms together along with universities and colleges as a form of collaboration. But what all of these organizations you know, and other organizations reported to us was a lack of long-term funding that enabled them to develop programs for the long-term. And it comes back to this, this point I made earlier about the longer something runs, the more you're able to build expertise and capacity in doing so. You're able to hire skilled people to oversee those programs. You know, you're able to, to maintain a sort of a equilibrium of skill, of knowledge, of capability within the cluster level to support firms. And I think that for me was a big difference between the two. I mean, and Christian and I, I we at one point Christian and I sat down and we, we just looked at the amount of staff that these regional organizations have. And I think that the difference is quite striking. I think like Montreal had something, I mean, this is off the top of my head, we can get you the real figures, you know, the actual figures if you want them, but I think it was something like 30 across the three main or the three large largest industry-based cluster organizations, Korea, Camac, and Aero Montreal. Ontario across, they have maybe seven or six full-time members of staff. And just in terms of, human resource at a cluster level to support firms, the difference is striking. Mm. That's a very important point that uh, Casey just made. And it's related to the expertise on which the, 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 the companies can rely on mm -hmm. to face industry 4.0, to face the, the, the challenge of uh, skill shortage, you know. And it comes back to the main idea where we were saying always that firms cannot do that alone. It's impossible. The problems are too complex. Uh, the reality is is uh, is too 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 complex also to be able to do that alone. And I mean, you know, just just very quickly dovetailing on what Christian's just said, it's obviously easier for large multinational companies. I know Christian mentioned the city, but it's worth repeating. They have a lot more internal resources. They can draw on sister sites that might be more technologically advanced. They can call on managers or engineers. You know, they, they have the buying capacity to hire the best talent. So they do have alternative resources outside of the cluster that they might be able to draw on to support them in like technological innovation and, and industry 4.0 adoption. But the same is not the case for SMEs. And so this is why you see this very, you know, big variation occurring between firms as well. Uh, I, I'm wondering if we can go back to what uh, Cassandra said about um, the point you were making about um, the, I think you said the number of firms 
being 30 in Quebec versus like oh. only seven in Ontario? This is the, these are the, the staff of the I regional see. organizations that support the cluster. Okay. So the point I was making is that, uh, and you know, we, what we see in Toronto and what we talk about in the report is that firms tend to either collaborate within supply chains if there is collaboration, or they're trying to work it out by themselves. Yeah, which leads me to believe that there's more support in Quebec than there is in Ontario. Yes. Okay. Yeah, that's yeah, that's what I was sort of meaning by suffering, yeah. I guess. Yeah. Yeah. It seems like, uh, yeah, Ontario is sort of is suffering a little bit more than 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 the Quebec region. You um, know, the, for for the we we saw a lot of good things in Ontario, but in SMEs that were able to innovate, you needed to have top managers, skillful managers. Uh, if you're average, it's very difficult because you don't have external resource on which you can build. Whereas in Quebec, even if you're average in terms of skill, uh, I mean, uh, management skill, you can rely on external resources that is given by the cluster and you can build after that your own capabilities, which is more difficult in Ontario. Once again, I'd like to extend a huge thank you to Dr. Cassandra Bowkett and Dr. Christian Levesque for joining me. I think we had a really interesting discussion. And thank you all as well for listening. <laughs>